Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at crossriver.com crypto. Hey, Scoop listeners, I'm Ashlyn Keeley. I cover regulation and policy for The Block, and I'm on the mic this week to tell you what policy talk went down at Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, Florida. I was on the ground for the conference, which bills itself as the largest Bitcoin gathering in the world. And it was big. When I attended in 2021, 12,000 people descended on Miami, and that felt like a lot of Bitcoiners. This year, that number more than doubled to 25,000. The annual Bitcoin conference attracts a spectrum of crypto users, with the strongest showing, or at least the loudest, from Bitcoin maximalists, those who are all in on Bitcoin and support the network with the zeal of a sports fan. The extent of policy talk in 2021 was mostly to rally attendees around keeping government regulation as light as possible. The leanings were clear. Taxation was theft, inflation was theft, Bitcoin was the answer, and regulation was an overreach. But this year, it seems Bitcoin has gone mainstream. And mass adoption means some of the hallmarks of a fringe group, like voracious anti-government sentiment, are falling away. I sat down with The Block's managing editor, Michael McSweeney, to talk about how the space has changed in a year and what we can glean from the conversations at Bitcoin 2022. I have on the mic this week my editor, my boss, and my support system while I was on the ground in Bitcoin Miami, Michael McSweeney. Thanks so much for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so so we basically covered the event together from two different perspectives. I was on the ground and you were sort of seeing everything I didn't, both on Twitter and in the live stream, and then also coordinating with our other reporters about, you know, different important announcements that were going on that maybe I couldn't be in the room for. So I'm really excited to coalesce our experiences together here. Yeah, I think it's 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 a very interesting period in crypto right now. And Miami is sort of acting as like that sort of like industry nexus for 2022. Obviously, there are more events to come in the coming months, but it seemed like all of the movers and shakers in Bitcoin and crypto digital assets and generally were all down in Miami to get together. 
Definitely. It certainly felt like it (laughs) with 25,000 people at that conference hall. But I also wanted to take it back to Bitcoin 2021 because we worked together in a similar capacity at that conference. Um, And I felt like there was a very different vibe surrounding policy and legal talk at 2021 compared to 2022. Do you agree? I would agree. You know, it seemed, and I'm just, you know, based on your reporting in the past, it seemed that the folks who were, you know, especially on the main stage of the event were maybe a bit more rah, rah, Bitcoin to hell with the regulators last year, where this time, especially from, you know, folks like Michael Saylor or Kathy Wood, um, you know, as you reported in your stories, uh, were very much more, we want to work with regulators. You know, we want our industry to have a positive intersection here versus like, hey, to hell with you, we're going to do our own thing, damn the rules, etc. Right. The most policy-focused panel that I remember from Bitcoin 2021 was one with Senator Cynthia Lummis and Representative Warren Davidson. And essentially, they were sort of grilled <laughs> for why should Bitcoiners you know, even care about the government and and what can you do to make sure that the government doesn't get too in the way and it was it was certainly I would term it aggressive <laughs> in terms of how it how it was approaching these lawmakers who are actually Bitcoin friendly lawmakers, you know, like mm. they're, quote unquote, the good guys to a lot of the people at these conferences. But still, they were sort of viewed with some skepticism. Um, and then this year we had the Senator Lummis fireside with uh, Kraken's head of legal, Marco Santori. And that was very chill and really just going through some of the legislation that is on the table and, and Senator Lummis is uh, going to unveil soon, hopefully, and basically going through the real points. So I felt like there was a real difference in, you know, why regulation to how regulation, mm. if that makes sense. I think it does. And I think, you know, Lummis is a good example and a, a good lens to look at this where, you know, if you wind the clock back a year during the the fight over crypto tax provisions in the bipartisan infrastructure package, that was a really eye-opening moment where you kind of saw like who are crypto's friends on Capitol Hill. And obviously Senator Lummis was among those. And so, you know, whether or not there is a perception in the industry that Lummis is their friend in Washington, I think is maybe open for debate, but I, I do think it is fair to say that any measure that is going to come out of this process that's happening now is probably going to be shaped to some extent by the folks who were are speaking with Lummis, who were lobbying her for maybe for certain perspectives, whether or not that bill leans more toward Bitcoin or just generally toward digital assets that are, you know, quote unquote commodities. If there's a securities component, you know, based on what we've learned to date, there appears to be a focus on classification in this legislation. I think it's difficult to speculate because we haven't seen the draft of the text. It has to move to the committee process. One imagines that given the the temperature in Congress today, is 2022 or even 2023 or 2024 an environment for a piece of crypto regulation to move through Congress? I think that's a very big open question. It's very possible that you'll see, as was the case with the infrastructure bill, where components of crypto policy are almost like stapled onto a much bigger thing. And if it's a situation as some 
predict to be the case where uh, the Republican Party takes control of the House of Representatives or the Senate or both, um, you might see a thing where it might be an environment where smaller individual pieces of legislation are far less likely to succeed on their own. And they might only proceed as part of like big omnibus legislation because those situations where, you know, like they, they have to pass something by a certain date and then different stakeholders and such people are sort of putting all their things on the table. So that may be the environment in which Senator Lummis is able to get her legislation through, if so. And at that point, we'll see which provisions are going to gain the most purchase on Capitol Hill. Right. So I, I like the forward-looking take, but I also want to look back a little bit and mm. and ask how we got from a place where um, a panel leader was grilling Bitcoin-friendly lawmakers to a Bitcoin 2022 in which we have most of our main stage uh, presenters saying something about policy and usually saying something neutral to positive, like ARK Invest Kathy Wood and MicroStrategies Michael Saylor both spent a lot of time during their conversation talking about why they're really confident that Bitcoin is going to be a quote unquote safe, you know, from regulatory scrutiny going forward. And they pointed to things like Biden's recent executive order that basically said, you know, I'm not going to ban this, uh, among other things, and and asking agencies to collaborate together on how best to regulate Bitcoin and other digital assets. Um, and they pointed to just the general growth of the industry and the conversations that they're having on Capitol Hill. A word that was thrown around a lot, I noticed, was bipartisan. <laughs> there were a lot of people trying to push this narrative that this is a bipartisan issue and this is no longer something that's necessarily falling along party lines. So from the past year of all our coverage, because you've edited pretty much all that coverage, what are the big high water moments that maybe brought us to this point in the conversation where you know, Bitcoin maximalists even aren't so policy hostile anymore. Sure. I mean, I'd say, A, the bipartisan legislation was a big eye-opening moment. I think the example of the of the Biden White House executive order was also a good example of that, where it kind of made clear that, at least under the, the current administration, uh, there is not a strong desire to to sort of dismiss this stuff out of hand. Um, I would also point in the direction of the work being done at the Federal Reserve on a central bank digital currency. You know, yes, that's not so immediately crypto related, but I do think it speaks to how the ongoing conversation around digital assets and cryptocurrency has shaped the work being done by central banks. I think there is an acknowledgement that these technologies and the the, the capabilities that they open up are compelling as the these ideas of digital money are looked at and what that might look like in the future. So I would say all of that is fair game. And then finally, I mean, this is, you know, maybe like more of like a a game by game baseball perspective, but just all of these hearings in Congress that have happened over the past year, I think there's just been almost like a Cambrian explosion in different committees and subcommittees within uh, Congress, especially in the House of Representatives side where they want to talk about this stuff. And, you know, you mentioned before how there is this argument of, oh, well, crypto is bipartisan. I think that's always been true. I mean, if you go back to the formation of the Congressional Blockchain Caucus, I mean, there were Democrats and Republicans who were at the forefront of that. I think that the meme that, oh, well, cryptocurrency is is Republican friendly, I don't think that's ever really been true. I think that it is 
fair to say that some Democrats are probably more maybe interested in uh, maybe more protective forms of regulation. But I think there are also Republicans who feel that same way as well. You know, and remember, a lot of this is still happening in an, in a, a post great financial crisis environment. I think it's also fair to say that uh, the perspectives of digital assets today are still being shaped by events from, you know, a number of years ago, not you know, at least including uh, the collapse of Empty Gox, the Japanese crypto exchange. So that that event really shaped the regulatory landscape um, for the years to come. And I think maybe the reason why we're only really seeing substantial change there today is because that posture, I think, is being reexamined. Maybe not in an explicit sense, but I do think implicitly. And I think you know that is perhaps best seen in the rather outward expression of discontent with the bit license here in New York, for example, and how it's a slow conversation, but there is a conversation happening around, is this approach that New York take has taken, is that the best one? And I think that reexamination is a reflection of that shifting posture. On the other side, you know, you also have um, the Financial Ashkin Task Force, uh, which, you know, you did a lot of reporting around. I think that that has also shaped the conversation in the sense that, well, the regulators are here. The regulators are here. Uh, they are not sort of like stumbling around blindly, as I think some people assume they were. They are pretty well informed, I think. They have spent years researching this stuff. So whether or not that research has resulted in outcomes that certain parts of the industry would prefer, you know, that's a big subject for debate. But maybe some of the conversation that you were seeing this year compared to last year is an acknowledgement that, well, the regulators are here. Maybe for some folks, we need to play ball. I wouldn't be surprised if in other quarters of, you know, the conference in Miami this year, there were other people still expressing that rah-rah to hell with the regulators perspective. But again, whether or not that's going to hold purchase in the months and years to come, I think is going to be the defining question of uh, where this stuff goes. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling in rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. 
This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A crypto fin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. I do want to briefly touch on mining regulation and energy mm. regulation, just because that was certainly a topic at Bitcoin 2022 as well. The mining stage was was popping. <laughs> um, anytime I popped in there, it was there was a lot going on and people seemed pretty interested. Yeah, I mean, there's also this general concern. I feel like there's more hostility or more concern or more outcry related to a lot of energy talk around Bitcoin. And there's a lot of defensiveness, it seemed, among a lot of Bitcoin advocates and proof of work advocates. Uh, where did you see that conversation falling this year? And and how might it have changed? Because there's been a lot of talk in the past year between New York's moratorium, between especially considering the exodus from China. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about energy use in the US related to cryptocurrency mining. Sure. I think that's a good question. I think that some of that defensiveness comes from a place of, well, why are you picking on Bitcoin mining when there are these other industries that are causing a great deal of environmental damage? I mean, there is a little bit of whataboutism there, but I think that the big dynamic that I saw this year was really pushing the notion that mining is an industry that promotes clean energy. I agree. I think that's a complicated picture. I yeah. think that uh, miners, especially publicly traded miners, they certainly have an incentive to look environmentally friendly. And then when you really kind of lift the hood on it, it's talking about, you know, energy offset credits, which, you know, some people think are legit. Some people think is useless theater. I think that uh, there are, you know, again, some of these publicly traded miners where they, because maybe there is an aspect, an element of their investor pool where they want to see miners move in a more environmentally friendly direction, uh, they are going to take concrete steps toward that. Um, I think it is certainly true that in the US, for example, you know, the mining sector here is not burning through a ton of coal as maybe they would have been in China during certain parts of the year uh, when they're not in the southern, when they weren't in the southern part of China drawing in the hydroelectrical power, they were up in the north, you know, consuming coal uh, or say in, in, in Kazakhstan where they were, you know, drawing from the coal powered energy there as well. Uh, so, you know, the, the energy picture here in the US, I think, is different. So they want to be seen being green. What that's going to look like a year or two from now from all these pledges that they're making, I think that's going to be an interesting question to see. I think that other, another interesting aspect that maybe, I think it was discussed a little bit there, but we've certainly done a decent bit of reporting around our efforts by, in some states, to extend tax breaks to miners uh, that are adhering to energy efficiency standards, which I think is interesting. I think there has been some reporting that, you know, these legislative efforts are being in some places pushed by miners in those states uh, so that they can access financial resources. 
Whether that pushes them in a more environmentally friendly direction, I think that's also going to be an interesting question. Uh, what's happening in New York, I think, is really interesting. And uh, I think we're all very curious to see how that's going to shape out. I think there is some opposition at a local level to Bitcoin mining companies. I think there are questions about, well, here are your promises about how many jobs are going to be created. Is that actually going to pan out? There are some folks who think that mines are a nuisance. They create a lot of noise. I think that those are sort of like the real local style politics that are going to shape this. You know, again, I think that's maybe less relevant for, you know, like places like in Texas where some of these mines are kind of in remote areas. Um, but certainly in other states where these mines are near where some people live and maybe they're not accustomed to the noise or the the activity around the mines, they're going to push back. And, you know, especially in some of these more rural areas. And I wonder if some, I, I would be surprised if some uh, mining companies are aren't out there discovering this the hard way where in terms of how rural communities govern themselves it's the people who show up for town meetings that can really decide the destiny of a multi-million dollar company and and again i mean I, this is a little bit of speculation but also based on just like a little bit of reading i wouldn't be surprised if some mining companies run into trouble in this area simply because there are some folks who maybe have certain preconceived notions of about mining or cryptocurrency in general. And then suddenly you have this huge data center popping up and they're rolling in trucks full of miners and they don't want them around. So I think that's going to be, that's also going to shape the dynamic in a small but interesting way in the years to come as well. No, I think it's incredibly interesting. Yeah, I, I was very excited with the reporting around the New York moratorium bill just because it was one of the first times I really saw crypto issues playing out in a more local government way, mm. you know, that that this actually is a moment in which crypto is usually confined to the digital world. And a lot of the regulations and policies that we talk about are ultimately like, I'm using the word intangible because I mean, they're not objects. They're not, you know, taking up space in places. They're principles that we're trying to govern our society with. But when it comes to mining, it's a very real and tangible question that we're mm -hmm. trying to answer. You know, do we want these things taking up space in certain places using very real resources that we have to, to balance? Um, and so I'm really excited to see how that plays out because local politics is so fun. Oh, <laughs> it's, yeah. no, it's, it's so blast. wild. That's pretty much everything that I wanted to talk about in terms of policy conversations that I saw unfold at Bitcoin 2022. Is there anything that you noticed that you think we're missing or we should touch on? I know. I think that's everything. I think that there was certainly an effort to present a picture that is about the industry. And like, I think it's a question of like, how accurate is that picture? You know, like, I think, I think Bitcoin 2022 is an event to celebrate Bitcoin. So obviously, you imagine that that picture is going to be very much a glass half full perspective. And they made that presentation. And I think that maybe the event as a whole was sort of like a pitch toward fostering mainstream adoption in a way that probably hasn't been done before. I mean, certainly there were a lot of people down there. I think that, you know, the the media push around that event was very strong. And where things go from here, I'm not sure. I mean, there are going to be other events. There are going to be more conversations around crypto. But I think that the perception of Bitcoin in the U.S. is maybe entering a new phase. You know, I think um, Mayor Suarez of, you know, Florida, I thought his presentation was really interesting where he was saying, you know, the next presidential candidate uh, needs to be pro-Bitcoin. 
Are we going to see that? I'm not sure. Was that Suarez quietly indicating that he's going to run for president in a couple of years or maybe governor of Florida if DeSantis runs for president? Um, tough to say, but I think that there is there is an effort underway to push crypto as a national issue. And whether that succeeds, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm very curious, but uh, exciting times ahead anyway for the journalists who are covering this story. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't even mention that, but that's totally true. There was a lot of discussion around voting. Um, I heard so many people say, you know, call your lawmaker, make sure you're voting for pro-Bitcoin candidates, which is something that I feel like hadn't entered the conversation until recently. The idea mm. of really being, you know, civically minded, politically active, that that is what is going to move the Bitcoin mass adoption forward. So that was certainly a new tone as well. And it was from the start of the event with Mayor Suarez's opening, basically saying we need a pro-Bitcoin president. And that definitely pervaded the rest of the event. So thanks for pointing that out, because, yeah, that's really important. So thanks so much for being here. And thanks so much for for helping me through and guiding our coverage through Bitcoin 2022. Yeah, thank you for having me for this conversation. It was a lot of fun. So maybe Bitcoin has gone mainstream enough that the Miami conference is less of a bastion for one type of thinking about policy and cryptocurrency. Sure, there were still anti-government antics. Billionaire Ricardo Salinas included a slide titled The Villains, which depicted regulators as devils in his keynote speech. And one MC led a group of attendees in a Braveheart freedom chant. But... From my perspective, neither stunt played particularly well, certainly not as well as they would have in 2021. Doubling the number of attendees was bound to affect the diversity of thought at the venue. The Mad Max energy of the event seems to be shifting as Bitcoiners look to promote mass adoption, and it's still pretty early in the game. Keep an eye out for future policy scoop updates and follow me at the block at Ashlyn Keeley to see how it unfolds.